0: Welcome to Work and the Future, a podcast about tomorrow with your host, Linda Nazareth.
1: Hello, and thank you for joining us today. When you hear the word negotiations, what do you think of? For a lot of us, you know, we think of something really high stakes. We think about union contracts or maybe sports salaries. And we know these things do have to be negotiated and there are people who do those things. But the reality is that we all negotiate and we negotiate in our work lives, whether that's for a raise or promotion or with the workers we manage. Doctors and nurses, for example negotiate every day. They talk about courses of treatments or medications that patients need to take. So, you know, we all need these skills, but for a lot of us, we don't really have those skills. We don't have the skills to negotiate effectively. Well, today we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the skills and how you learn them. My guest is Andres Lleras. He's the managing partner and CEO of the Shapiro Negotiations Institute. Now, Andres has advised professional sports teams in the NBA and the NFL and the NHL on things like contract negotiations and trades, but he also advises workers, managers, executives, salespeople, but people in all lines of work on how to negotiate. He has a new book out, too. It's called Persuade. It's written with two co-authors, Jeff Cochran and Sean Deegan. And he talks about the book and, and the things that we can all think about in terms of how to negotiate better. You know, I had a really fascinating conversation with Andres. I hadn't thought about all of this, but it is so important in terms of careers and management to understand negotiation. So really worth listening to. He has some really practical tips. Please stay with us. Is there a way to develop the negotiation skills you need to be effective at work and to effectively manage your own career? Well, Andres Laris is the managing partner and CEO of the Shapiro Negotiations Institute and the co-author of a book called Persuade, the four-step process to influence people and decisions. He joins me now to talk about why negotiation skills are important and the best way you can acquire them. Andres, thank you so much for joining me today.
0: Thank you for having me, Linda.
1: You know, I always like to ask guests about their own careers because it's so interesting. Uh, How did you end up being the expert on negotiating? (laughs)
0: Well, I think, again, and anyone else would probably say in their career, I think luck and who knows what happens, right? But uh, I actually got into this um, because I actually wanted to get into sports. So I wanted to work in sports and I wanted to be a general manager. And so I went to graduate school. I got my MBA and I got a master's sports administration. I was really looking for a job in sports. And I stumbled on this company that really one of the big chunks of work that they did was they advised pro sports teams on negotiations. And so I, uh, it's funny the way life goes, but I came here for a kind of a couple of week project where I told my eventually wife to be, no, no, don't worry. Stay in Toronto because uh, that's where we were based in Toronto, Canada. And I said, no, don't bother coming. And so a couple of weeks turned into a couple of months and a couple of months turned into a couple of years. And then, uh, so, you know, from then, uh, about four years ago, I took over the company and uh, the founder kind of stepped away. And so now it's been 12 years. So what was supposed to be a couple of weeks turned into 12 years, two kids, and and certainly staying in Baltimore.
1: <laughs> so you are uh, still in sports, right? You negotiate for teams or
0: exactly. So the, the what the Shapar Negotiation Institute does is two things. So um, kind of the the sometimes more uh, public inf- you know piece of it and, and gets more attention is our sports work where we advise player or, or teams on player contract negotiations, large sponsorship deals, things like that. That's a piece of the business, but really, kind of the largest part of the business is actually on the non-sports side, and it's really grown. It's it's essentially advising Fortune five thousand companies on major negotiations or training their people, so salespeople, procurement people marketing, engineers, leaders, uh, really any job function.
1: That's interesting because when we hear negotiation, we tend to think of things like Hollywood or sports, kind of really high level, but we all need negotiation skills, right?
0: Absolutely. And, and certainly I know that's going to be a big topic of today and that not only is it something that we need now, but it is it is really a growing need because it's soft skill. It's, it's very closely tied to communication, but I mean, we negotiate it, whether you kind of, Think of it as that or not, really every day all the time, whether it's with a spouse at what you're gonna eat or with a friend, which movie you're gonna go to. And and then certainly professionally all the time, whether it's for more budget or for more buy-in or with a colleague in order to get something done, you know, whatever it may be. It's it, we're constantly negotiating.
1: It's interesting because I talk to a lot of people about the skills they need at work and the skills that you need to develop. And it seems like there's no way to really get the soft skills. You don't learn them at college or university or in training. You're supposed to just pick them up as you go along.
0: Exactly. And I think that is changing, though. It's interesting. Since I've been, so I've been at S9 now for 12 years. And since I've been here, I have noticed that, I mean, for example, sales. I mean, sales is something that's actually covered in universities now. And not that it's a soft skill, but really that was something that was almost taboo even even 12 years ago. And and that's an example. And I think certainly we're seeing more negotiation uh, as far as like at courses in, in universities. And, and certainly, obviously, we're seeing a lot more online as far as what people can do, even on their own time, from the Corsairs of the world and all the other kind of places that people kind of decide what they want to learn on and do it, whether they're in university or in the workforce or wherever they are in life. And so I think it's an area that kind of is starting to, but yeah, you're expected to be a leader or to negotiate without any formal training at most of the jobs that you're in.
1: Well, let's say you have a job and you're trying to negotiate whatever it is with your workers or for uh, a raise or whatever else. What are the things you need to think about in terms of being a good negotiator?
0: So in terms of being a good negotiator, I mean, there, there's a lot, but I think the first thing that comes to mind are really two things that are absolutely core are empathy and then preparation. Mm. So I think empathy, it's interesting that when we think of negotiation, that's probably not the, the first word that comes to mind, <laughs> uh, but but it is really critical. So of course, when you're negotiating, certainly professionally, you are representing your organization. And so the objectives of the organization are paramount. So that is the priority. It's It is really achieving your objectives, but That doesn't have to come at the cost of the other side. And we would say, except for in negotiations that are one time only, and you'll never negotiate or work with that person again, which really are very few and far between professionally. It's really important to be thinking of the other side. Now that's not to mean that you can't ask for everything that you want and need, but it is to to kind of do it in a way that thinks about the other party. And really kind of take a collaborative approach. And so again, it doesn't mean you don't have to be aggressive, doesn't mean you don't kind of go after everything you want, but the way you do it is really important. So I'd say it's one and and that's closely tied to two, which is preparation. And so as much as kind of athletes prefer to play the game rather than prepare and, and kind of do, you know, um, practice, it's the same for negotiation that we we tend to for whatever reason, sometimes we're overconfident, sometimes we're not sure how to prepare, you know, sometimes we feel like we don't need it, whatever the reason preparation is so closely tied with negotiation performance that it's really important to remember that.
1: Okay. So, say you're going into a meeting with somebody and you have your own agenda. You're not maybe negotiating a contract, but you're working with somebody else in an organization and you both have uh, things you want to get done. How do you do this? How do you go into that meeting?
0: So, there's a couple of things that uh, that you can do. And I think the first is you want to think through kind of a, a process you can negotiate or prepare for negotiation the same way every time. And so because you want to be really efficient, right? And so um, one, one thing we teach, for example, a quick one we might teach often to folks is P-A-I-D. So an acronym that's easy to remember because if you want to, uh, you know, you have to prepare to get paid, we say. And so P is precedent. Do so you want to think, have I seen this before? So if you're buying a house, that's easy, sort of the comparables of other houses, right? And what's the neighboring house go for? What did it sell for? Those sorts of things. But that's the first. So precedent and in, in any space that can be done. So have I worked with this person before? What's that been like? And you want to do that for two reasons. One is you kind of want to learn. You want to think about what's what's happened, what's worked and not worked in the past. And the second is some of those precedent you could use potentially for persuasive purposes, Right you know, this happened here, for example, as a comp, it was a favorable comp for your home. Again, you might bring that up because it could help you with whatever kind of offer you make. And so the next is alternatives. And so one of, we kind of describe alternatives as the the best and most powerful way to create leverage. And so it's really important you have alternatives. There's kind of a term that often is talked about, especially in the academic field of uh, BATNA, which is the best alternative uh, to a negotiated agreement. And so not only just thinking about that one alternative, but really thinking about creating as many as you can will create leverage. And again, just for simplicity, we can certainly talk about this in a professional manner, but actually, yeah, rather than houses, we think about jobs. So how you would feel and how you will negotiate if you have three job offers and you really want one that's the fourth will be very different than if you have no other offers and that you know you'd be lucky to get anything, right? And even if it's the same job and the same salary potential that's being pitched to you, you will kind of uh, work through it very differently because of your alternatives or lack of alternatives. And so that's, a, that's an example of how important those are. Then the next interests, and there's two parts of this. So the first is your own. And we find that, although it's kind of uh, surprising, people don't often really know exactly what they want, kind of as precisely as they should, right? And so if you're thinking about you know a job or thinking about negotiating with a colleague, Uh, you know, let's call it around larger budget for a project you want to go after. So you want to think through what exactly do I want to accomplish, right? And so exactly how much budget do I need and when do I need to buy? and Kind of really figure out those things before you go to your colleague or your boss or whoever may be is really important. And the other piece is what are their interests? And so this is where empathy comes in, for example, that really, if you aren't thinking about the other party, the way you're going to come off is essentially just not optimal, right? It's no one kind of wants to be told what to do. And there's always very few situations where a collaborative approach is not more successful. So interest does both of those. And then finally the last is deadline. So deadline really kind of is, you figure out, is there a deadline and you work backwards to create a timeline. And the thinking is we often have all heard that you know, 80% of a negotiation occurs the last 20% of the time in Pareto's principle. And, you know, whether that's always the case or not, Certainly, when there's a deadline in place, there's more pressure to get things done and more things do happen. And so what you want to do is you want to use that to your advantage, be prepared for it and work backwards from it rather than get caught off guard. And so that's kind of a, you know, PAID is a simple acronym to work through that you can do that in your mind on a taxi ride somewhere, or you can kind of write it down in a napkin, or if it's a really important negotiation, you kind got of to fill it out, you write it down, and you really think through it.
1: Interesting. You know, This year, a lot of people are going to be asking for raises because the labor market's still pretty good, but inflation is running out of control. So people are going to be going in saying, I need more money. So what's the template for doing that? Because I think a lot of people are going to hear, we can't afford it.
0: (laughs) So that is it. And we've been talking a lot about it. And um, it, it is certainly a hot topic. And so what's interesting is, first of all, actually... We talk about raises and there's a lot of studies that talk about how much more people make over the course of a lifetime if they're constantly negotiating their salary. Yes, sir. Sure. I want to be careful about saying constantly, because if you're going to your boss every week or month to renegotiate your salary, I think you might be in trouble and you may not have a job to renegotiate. But if you're being reasonable and kind of, you know, and, and that can be different things and depending on the company and the job, it it is very impactful and important. So, but now more than ever is actually a good time to negotiate for a salary raise. Because you have an objective standard to point to, so three years ago, if int- you know if inflation was not a, a kind of a, a big deal, it's something that you had to ask. And you had to provide kind of more specific reasons on all the value you bring to the table. It's more about you and the company. But in this case, you have an objective standard to point to and say, "Look, if I don't get a raise this year, I'm making significantly less money than I would, you know, than I was making last year, right? Fifty thousand dollars salary in 2022." is equal to certainly less than it was in 2020, for example, and you can calculate that very easily. And so it's actually an objective standard that makes it easier for folks that sometimes are not sure kind of how to do it and whether they should or not. This is a bit of a crutch, if you will. So in that way, it's kind of a good thing. Um, So it's something to keep in mind. And then to answer your question on how to do it, the one thing I would add to PAID is to script it out. And so What do I mean by that? Well, this is certainly a very sensitive thing to be negotiating, right? Not only will you kind of feel likely not that confident and comfortable, but you also want to be very careful. You don't want to damage the relationship with your boss or HR or whoever's involved. And so scripting it out means what are the key kind of points you want to make? And that's a really big piece of it. But you also want to figure out, okay, how do I want to start it to set the tone? How do I want to end it to kind of make sure that progress is not lost? For example, they say, well, think about it. Not just saying, okay, great, and walking away, great. Well, you know, when should we set up the next meeting to make sure that we continue this progress? And then the last thing is, if you expect to face objections, which often will happen, how do you plan to respond to those? And so what's amazing about that process, is again, just kind of a one quick, you know, five minute uh, time frame, you can do all of this. But in the moment, you feel so much more confident because you almost feel like you've gone through the conversation before, right? You kind of said it, you role played it in your mind, I mean, if it's really important, you can even role play with a friend, a peer, or spouse. And it, it is completely different because of the confidence it gives you. And so uh, there's a phrase we like to say, nothing convinces like conviction. And certainly scripting is a perfect example to be effective in that way.
1: That's interesting. Are there visual clues you should be looking at if you're sitting in a room with somebody? Can you tell whether they're open to things or not?
0: So body language is an interesting thing and and it takes really, I think it's it's a it's a very complex piece to kind of really, really hone in on. But one piece that we say is kind of an easy, you know, broad brush, if you will, is multiple kind of consistent piece of body language is something you can read into. So for example, someone crosses their arms like this, and that's the only thing they do, tough to read into, is it cold? Because it's wintertime here in the Northeast, I'm based in Baltimore, it might be cold where I am. Or I just, am I not liking kind of the questions that Linda's posing, right? And so it's very difficult to decide that. But If, for example, I shift my body away some, even if I'm looking and I'm shifting away, I cross my arms, my facial expressions turn a little bit, not necessarily fully negative, but are no longer positive, I'm smiling less. Now you start getting consistent messages that are all kind of in the same direction. And then you can start reading into that, that potentially this would be a good time to adjust the way I'm approaching this, or if it's one specific person to kind of get them more involved and make sure that kind of they get a chance to speak their mind.
1: Interesting. We're doing a lot of things remotely, obviously. Uh, How does that change things?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, the biggest thing we would say is a a negotiation is, uh, you know, we're talking about a soft skill is something that you want to use the richest medium you can possible. So for remote, that means you do not want to do it over email. You'd like to avoid phone if you can. So you're really trying to keep it to video calls if you can. And if you can do it in person, even better and the idea is because we just talked about body language there's a famous study and a piece of information that people talk about a gentleman moravian from ucla professor that that really says that 93 percent of what you communicate is not in what you say it's in your tone it's in your body language and so if you know if we believe that and there's certainly studies that support it then it's something that you lose all of that if you're on the phone all you have is tone right it's what you say in tone you lose all of body language on a video call, at least you kind of get that box that we're used to, where you get to see some reaction, and then a person certainly is the best. So um, we would say we would recommend using the richest medium possible for this.
1: That's interesting. Now you mentioned that you do executive training or training of sales executives. That makes sense to me. But besides sales, who else needs to think about negotiating skills you know, within a company?
0: Well, so, I mean, there's, um, you know, sales and kind of procurement, the buy side and the sell side of the first two that come to mind. But really, I mean, we consistently work with all types of job functions. For example, uh, see a lot of work with engineers, for example, that are very, very good at their jobs and potentially can improve on the way they communicate that with non-engineers, right? And so project managers that have to kind of manage and negotiate with whether it's kind of internal or external clients and, and groups, and that's a piece of it. Leadership program is a big piece of it, and it's very much a growing one that essentially is very closely tied to emotional intelligence. It's very closely tied to communication skills, leadership skills. So we do that a lot in professional services, for example, we do that a lot, where if you think of kind of a partner or a director at a professional service firm, you know, they often are kind of a, as a professional, don't necessarily see themselves as selling or negotiating, but they really are doing both on a consistent basis. And it's about building relationships in their case is a really big piece of it. So it's a lot. We've, we've worked with nurses and doctors even. And, you know, think nurses, they're negotiating with potentially a patient to take their medication or negotiating to, you know, for buy-in to a, a specific procedure. And they work together with a doctor, to do that and doctors as well. So really just about every job function, it, it's, I don't think I was quite aware of how many kind of situations we negotiated until, you know, I kind of got here and see it every day.
1: It's interesting. You say negotiate, but you're really talking about communicating, right? You mentioned that earlier. I think people don't recognize that. They think negotiate. right I negotiate, it sounds like trying to win, yep. but actually, you're trying to just get to an outcome, correct?
0: Exactly. Yeah, I would say when people think of negotiating, they think of like a you know flea market negotiating to purchase something, and in so many ways, that's that's you know not what it is because first of all. You know, the negotiation, if you think of any real negotiation, it goes outside of that, right? So if you're kind of buying a home, negotiating a salary, uh, trying to get buying for a huge project, you know, whatever it is, usually that kind of interaction, if it's one, two, three of them that you're going back and forth on, whatever it is. Is not the entire negotiation, your preparation before what happens after. And then being able to see it through is important too, right? And so, from first of all, it's, it's kind of much broader than that. And, and exactly that. It is, uh, you know, there's a fine line. We talked about it too. So, our two areas of focus are really negotiation and influencing. And so, we have, we have kind of a few books on both, but there's such a fine line between the two. And so, you know, when when is it that you kind of start and stop negotiating and start and stop influencing? And even kind of seeing it that way and communicating, like you said, that word too, all three of those terms are so closely intertwined and aligned. I think that starts to help people realize that, you know, negotiating isn't kind of like that flea market back and forth. It's really hoping to reach a solution with, with one or more parties.
1: Interesting. Now, I know you've mentioned the need for companies to have a negotiation center of excellence. What is that?
0: Yeah, so it, it, because, you know, today's kind of uh, market, if you will, or business is it's a landscape, that's just so competitive, right? It gets more and more competitive. And so you're really, every organization we work with is looking for every competitive edge that they can find. And so a negotiating center of excellence is a, is a good example of that, where if you think about what an average company, uh, how much it can impact if they negotiate it a little bit better. And you just kind of go through all of the different job functions it affects, it's significant, right? we talked about sales and if you got 1% higher margin in procurement, if you lowered cost by 1%, if your engineers were able to more effectively communicate with your non-engineers, if your marketing, you use more persuasive communication for when they were marketing and were able to get more buy-in on their ideas from the rest of the organization, all those things are negotiation and influencing. And so it's a huge impact. And so if we kind of believe that it can have a big impact, a center of excellence then kind of puts it together where we say, okay, For, you know, to become a leader in the organization, for deals uh, and negotiations that are a certain size, all of those, there's kind of a core group of people that help to advise it. And there's a core negotiation process across the organization. And so that's kind of what we work towards is to start implementing that. So at a company, when people think of negotiation, oftentimes if there are clients, we've worked with a big group of people in the organization, they think of it as prepare, pro, propose. That's a three-step process. So you're thinking about preparation, it's critical. And so we've got, you know, PID and other aspects of that, probing. And so we talked about empathy. It's spending time really understanding deep discovery of the other side, whether you're selling, buying, you know, or managing a project. And then finally proposing, and there's some fundamental guidelines to make proposals that do what we talked about, which is to maximize your share while still satisfying the other side. And so the idea is just as a kind of a brief example, that would be kind of a center of excellence is look, that's the process that everyone in an organization uses. And at the same time, for kind of these really critical negotiations, there's some resources that people can go to to kind of get the the optimal outcome.
1: Interesting stuff, Andres. Thank you so much for talking to me today.
0: Thank you very much for having me, Linda.
1: Andres Laura is the managing partner and CEO of the Shapiro Negotiations Institute. He's also the co-author of the book, Persuade, The Four-Step Process to Influence People and Decisions. Well, that's it for today. If you want to know more about Andres and his work, please check out our show notes. You'll find some links there. If you want to connect with me, I'm on Twitter at at relentless eco. Now, if you did like this conversation about the future of work, please take a moment, subscribe to the podcast, but as well, please leave a rating or review wherever you get your podcasts. That's how people find these podcasts and that will really help us continue these conversations about the future of work. Thank you so much for listening. And thanks as always to Stokely Audio for audio production.
0: To learn more about work and the future and to see show notes, go to theworkandthefuturepodcast.com. You can also contact us at comments at theworkandthefuturepodcast.com. The Work and the Future Podcast with Linda Nazareth is a relentless economics production.